0: Let's see. You are... Michael... Bolton? Yeah. Is that your real name? Yeah. Are you any relation to the pop singer?
1: No, it's it's just a coincidence. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Bolton fan. Me too. For my money, I don't know if it gets any better than when he sings When a Man Loves a Woman.
0: But you must really love his music, huh? <laughs>
1: Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty good, I guess.
0: You're goddamn right he is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So tell me,
0: what's your favorite song of his?
1: Mm. <clears throat> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I I, guess I sorta of like them all. <laughs> so Ryan, I'm the exact same way, but it must be twice as hard for you being to have the same name as him. I celebrate the guy's entire catalog. Anyway, let's get down to business, Michael. You know, you you can just call me Mike.
0: Coming soon. This summer. At Theaters Everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R.
1: Welcome to episode 39 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matissa. And this week we travel back to February 19th, 1999 and the premieres of Mike Judge's Office Space and Joe Johnston's October Sky, as well as the wide release of Wes Anderson's sophomore feature Rushmore, starring Jason Schwartzman, Olivia Williams and the great Bill Murray. But before we dive into the week's movies, where were we all in February of 1999?
0: 1999. I wasn't. Uh, here's what I wasn't doing. Partying like it's 1999. <laughs> no. No. This I was. The, the, were you? No, you doing? not Ooh. at all. Uh, well, not this is all. the magical, and by that I mean horrendous, year and a half between... Getting my ma- I was. A, I don't know if you guys know. I was a master. I was declared a master of the fine arts. Oh, here we go. In oh, 1998. Boy. I don't know if you're aware of that. A master <laughs> of the fine arts. At which time I moved back home to Jersey and lived in my parents' downstairs. And
2: now you're a master
0: of the fine hand farts, Rick. Hello. <laughs> and I have an M F H A. No M F H F A F A. You can do the acronym. Listen, <laughs> I spent three years getting a goddamn master's degree only to move back into my old bedroom, which used to be my grandmother's room in my old house in New Jersey. And you know what I was doing? A, substitute teaching. We ever substitute taught? No. no I forgot that you here's did that. What, here's how that works. Yes. This is before moving to New York. I didn't move to New York until 99. So right. I had a whole like year and a half at home you know, through like May 98 through like, you know, the fall of 99 or end of the year 99. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, uh, uh yes, yeah, so substitution, they call you at like five in the morning and they go, can you work today? And you go, yeah, I'm today." <laughs> and you get your ass up and you go to whatever middle school, you know, John oh, Adams God. middle school and you fucking work and you go, okay, you're the gym teacher today or you're the science teacher. Or, you're the art teacher. Oh, I was the art teacher once for a week. Horrible. The kids were <laughs> awful. They were like ripping up each other's art, running what around. What did the you room.
2: do? Because I'm going back to the pictures. That seems like I, a nightmare.
0: I, I always yeah. remember you just drawing
2: pictures of like sad looking penises.
0: That's what I tried <laughs> to teach them to do. Because I was like, here's, here's art that can be useful sad to you. Here's how you draw a sad Wang. And they're like, (laughs) no, I remember
2: like seeing the end of Super Bad during the credits, where it's just like the pictures of the Mm dudes. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's that was like Dan. That's what you used to
0: do. I would draw that in your scripts. I would be like, hey Fred, let me see your script. There's a note. (laughs) There's a note that uh, Doctor Cole gave you here, and I would just draw Wang in your script.
2: And it's funny because I have co opted that, and I draw them. Everywhere and my friends are always like, Oh God, it's Fred's ugly looking dick drawings again. And I always give you credit. I say, No, <laughs> I learned you. this from my friend Dan Matisse. <laughs> well, finally, it, someone gives me credit. It, it was almost like a like a Hirschfeld, because it was just it was just like a yes. line drawing. I'm right. doing it like the, the like the people can see what my fingers are doing. There's a little
1: Nina yeah. at
0: the tip. Yeah, it was like yeah. a little
2: Nina, and there were you there in was the always pubes, like a, I would there put was the a few cubes. Exactly. And like a vein, a random vein here right. and there. I was,
0: <laughs> I was there doing the substitute teaching throughout central New Jersey but you know you, you your body horrible. knows that oh god if the phone rings between 5 and 5:30 or 5:15 5:30 i have to say yes because i need the money but privately you're hoping that the phone doesn't ring yeah, that there's no work for you that day because it's so motherfucking early you know and you're just not you know three years of not getting up at that ungodly hour but it's not just that isn't it just intimidating to like that would be a, a, a yeah. you a don't know what you're walking into ever you don't know what you're walking into ever <laughs> it's like go to the drive to this school here's where it is Report to this person you're taking over for this class today. Do they have a lesson plan? No. You're on your own. Enjoy. A bunch oh of room God. full of strangers. But, you know, you make the best of it.
2: They smell it. They sm- it's like fresh meat. You know, because you
0: remember when we were kids oh, yeah. and you get a substitute teacher? Oh, I yeah. mean, oh, yeah.
2: as soon as they walk in, you know what you're dealing with.
0: Right. Unless it's little, little kids. If it's like kindergarten, the first graders, you just have fun and you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. draw and you tell stories and you do stuff like that, you know. Um. But, Yeah. Anything from like, I mean, middle school, hell, hell on earth, high school, you know, seventh circle of hell. It's all the, the, yeah, exactly. They, they see you as the, the fresh meat uh, uh, of the day, but wow. you know, the, my other job at this time and this office space reminded me of it because it's Jennifer Aniston's mm. job. I Did worked work at, at a, <laughs> I worked at a tchotchkes type place and it was wow. the original gentlemen, the original think back no longer exists. Uh, no. Benigans, oh, Bennegan's? Correct. Right? I worked at the Benigan's. I Bennegan's. remember when you yeah. worked at Benegins. Yeah. I was like, I'd like to be a bartender. They're like, mm, you have to be a waiter first. It takes like 10 years to be a bartender. Oh, here. God. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's putting like, in Jesus. 10 years at
1: Benigan's to become a bartender. And then they're like, Benigan's no longer exists. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's exactly close up shop. right.
0: So Here's my first day as a bartender. Oh, it's you're going to have to start from scratch at TGI Fridays. <laughs> yep. Start from the beginning again. Wait, now it's an Applebee's. Now it's a Chili's. Now it's fuck you. <laughs> I should have <laughs> stayed
2: at Fud Rucker's, it. <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> uh but i uh, i re- i remember two two big memories from ben against three actually one was you had to um give them their lunch in 30 minutes they had the 30 minute time mm-hmm. crunch lunch which yeah. is there anything more stressful on the face of the otherwise they get it for free right and and in the kitchen you've lost the lunch i did uh. not lose a lunch but i worked with people who did and it was like the moment in Game of Thrones where they go, shame, shame, and they go shit on the lady. Ah, <laughs> ah. It was like it was worse than that for these kids, these poor fuckers, if they lost the lunch. Thank you. You had to I walk out naked lunch. with uh, some nachos wow. in your hands. Yeah, with wearing the your aisles. flare and nothing else. That was oh, it. God. <laughs> um and that, but I also remember uh spilling an entire tray of beers, like beer bottles, like all over a table. Oh because no. because I I didn't know how to balance a big tray yet. And I remember getting grifted by a by a table full of waiters from another restaurant. I don't know where they came in from, but everyone's like, hey, we know so and so. And oh, Dan's going to be your waiter today, blah, 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 blah. And I served them drinks and they were hiding them under the table. Unbeknownst to me, this was like a table of like 10 waiters that were there to fuck over another waiter. And they were like, I didn't I never got my drink. I was like, yes, you did. I served it to you. Well, then where is it then? Uh, I don't know what you did with it, but I definitely served it to you. I brought it from the bar, 10 steps to your table. No, I'd like to see the manager, please. I was like, holy shit. And sure enough, we found the glasses under the table later. Later. But I had to like give them, you know. I had to like eat the oh, cost no. of the drinks I quote unquote lost.
2: What? Where were they? Where, what restaurant were they from? Did you go and rumble them? Did you I get a, did
0: they get the Benegans? The Benegang? <laughs> <I'm> the Benegang? <laughs> <laughs> the Benegang versus the TGI fuckers? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it would have been like the the uh, it would have been like the outsiders if we had done that with, cha- <laughs> with chains and everything else.
1: Those guys from Chuck E. Cheese are they are yeah, bad. They are mean. mean. Talking about know. does Chuck E. Cheese have waiters? I've never <laughs> been in a Chuck E. Cheese. Not only
0: have waiters, they're dressed up like the uh, like the uh, the mouse and everybody else. Yeah, like you should have known when they
1: came when they came there and took off their big heads. Like, <laughs> oh God! And like, the uh, ground
2: rounders are here. Watch yeah. out, guys!
3: They're
1: always throwing peanut shells at everyone. You can you can hear the, the shells crunching under their feet. That's how you know. <laughs>
2: Uh (laughs) I mean my job wasn't that much more glamorous at this time. And I think I've spoken about it briefly, but I was uh I was living down on the Lower East Side. I was about four months into dating Kate, Mm -hmm. my now bride, um, and Mm -hmm. I was working at GM on fifth, which I've spoken about, which was next to F.A.O. Schwartz, where me and, and our buddy Steve Lavner, and we would just stand in front of cars and pretend that we knew what we were talking about, which I, I never did. I know nothing. E- even today, my son was asking me about cars. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's like, what's your dream car? I was like, I the, the Subaru Forester that I'm driving right now. <laughs> a working really nice. a working vehicle. Yeah! Wow. <laughs> I have no car. Wow. cars. Just never. Me too, Fred. They, they never interested me. I don't me have. I, I have nothing against them, but I'm like, does it drive? Does it work? And I've never. I've just never been a guy that's been like, oh, I gotta have that car. I want that car, or I gotta I want to take one drive. And they, I me know, neither. Just, Absolutely. i just get on a bike and go someplace. But, but so I was working there, and I was I started rehearsals for this production of King Lear that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. started around this week and I was I was rehearsing for that and I was also recording my first demo with my my old band Zip Thunk. Me and Steve Lavner and oh, Jeff Turner. So oh, so wow. good. You guys were yeah. so good. Yeah, and we were was awesome. it was it was the first time that we ever recorded anything and we were recording at our friend Marilyn D'Amato's apartment in Queens. Marilyn, we knew her because she used to date our old friend from college, Nene Camps. Oh so, yeah. So yeah. So she had like a studio in her apartment there, and and I always remember that's not that funny of a story, but so I, and I mentioned this I think last episode whenever we talked about this production of King Lear, it was it was with this company called the Chekhov Theater Ensemble, and they decided I remember I came in I was cast as the fool. And I was like, oh, I'm going to play The Fool, like really edgy and, you know, like this East Village <laughs> comic, this angry comic. I'm going to have like a teardrop <laughs> tattoo on my face. I had this I had this whole idea of what I was going to do. And the director wanted – he was a really, really nice guy. And he said, oh, actually, wait a minute. It's because of that show that this podcast exists in many ways. What are you talking about? And I'll what? tell you why. Wherefore? So I'll tell you. <laughs> it, like it, the director was this guy named Florid Rumor, really sweet guy. Mm. And anyway, he was basically like, I, I actually want my idea for The Fool is to play him as like a severely mentally challenged and handicapped young boy, because that's the only way the king, he could get away with saying things to the king and he wouldn't be executed or blah, blah, blah. So it was, he basically, he wanted me to 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 incorporate this walk and a way of talking. And it was really... I was really thrown off by it. And I Hmm. remember going, I remember recording in Queens and we recorded in Maryland's place. And I was walking to the subway and I was like, how how am I going to walk? Like, what am I going to do? Like maybe he'll have like a bum leg or something. And I remember I I took off my glasses at the time I wore glasses and I couldn't really see. So I was just, (laughs) I was like walking really slowly and experimenting with limbs. And from behind me, I hear Fred, Fred, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> and it was our friend Al Pagano. We went to college. Was, with. He lived in Queens. I was, say. <laughs> and I was like, Al. He's like, Are, are, are you all right? <laughs> I was like, What? Uh, uh, uh. He's like, You're walking really funny. I like, said, oh, No, I'm. I'm. I'm we're, we're working on something for a for a show for the fool. <laughs> so
1: you anyway. do look like a fool. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you look like a fool. You look
2: like a, you, look a, you look like a fucking idiot. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So anyway, so I do the show. So here's how it leads. To this podcast, Mm -hmm. we do the show. It's the first thing that Kate sees me and she brings her whole family. I talked about that. A year later, I just get back from a tour. I'm on a, a, a national tour out of town. I get back in town and I see in backstage the, you know, the performing arts paper that this guy Floyd Rumor and his company, they're, they're casting for a staged reading. Uh, on a new play called The Vocal Lords about these two kids in Brooklyn who form a doo group. It's based on a true story on this blah, blah, blah. So I emailed him. I was like, hey, Floyd, I don't know if you remember me. We did King Lear together. I'd, I'd love to come in an audition. I just got back from the store. He called me in. I got it. And that's where I met our good friend, Ethan Duff. Yeah. So Ethan Duff, who's, who helped us create this podcast. Yeah. Yay. And Yay. we worked on that show for a couple of years before it actually went to, you know, off Broadway. We had a nice little run. And yeah. So I that's, saw it. That was a great show. It was a good show. And that show that's actually awesome. led to. Lots of other fun things in my life, but that was yeah. That's where I met Ethan. I
1: didn't know there was the connection between the King Lear and that show. I didn't realize oh, yeah, I Flo- yeah. Floyd Rumor. R- Rumor?
2: Yeah, <laughs> Floyd Sorry. Rumor or Rumor? Yeah. I remember
1: that name. It's such a unique name. I remember when you were doing the <laughs> Lear and you had said, and I was like, well, right there. He was a very Floyd unique
2: Rumor. guy. Unique guy. But yeah. So look at that. So around this. Wow. Who knew that back in February of 1999, I was wow. sowing the seeds to have a podcast to find Jeremy this
0: very day amazing uh, and now
1: awesome. we don't like
0: Ethan anymore that's the irony that's the irony <laughs> or of the Fred. whole thing when or we don't Floyd like Floyd more yeah we hate them all <laughs> <laughs> one of us hates Jason i won't say who oh no, i kidding. know who it is dan so, <laughs> <laughs>
3: Don't
0: worry oh, about oh, it oh i know oh uh, i know um uh, what no, we were lo- you
2: doing in February of 1999 Jason? Uh, I was we love st- Ethan
0: just to just to round it out. We love Ethan still I to this day. Don't worry. Quite, do you think anybody thinks you think I got it like <laughs> he has to like
1: put in oh we we still like Ethan. His name, his voice and his names at the end of the show. Eh, Yes, we like Ethan. God bless
2: Ethan. Because Ah. the
1: two of us, the three of
2: us, what am I saying? The two two Uh, of us. I don't
1: count Dan either. It's all right. (laughs) Oh, you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't.
2: We didn't know what we were doing when this whole thing started. Ethan did everything. I know. And
0: it's uh, at the end of the podcast when it says, Opening Weekend is produced by... Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, <laughs> and Dan Matisse. I always chuckle to myself. Produced <laughs> <laughs> by. <laughs> Produced.
2: And with special help by Ethan. We're like, no, nah, it's not just special help. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Right.
1: He's had to oh, God. carry me along. This was I, this was the, the unpleasant phase of my time at Jekyll and Hyde. I was still working at Jekyll and Hyde, but this <gasps> was right. A few months before, I finally was like, "I'm t- I'm too miserable for words. I have to stop." Um,
0: what was your character's name there again? Yeah, Brewster Device. How could you forget Brewster, Brewster Device, Device
1: and Ravenwood, the Butler. Oh, Ravenwood oh. The bu- was the Cockney Butler who I didn't, I didn't, I never sent the costume in for dry cleaning. <laughs> right, And right, Brewster yeah. Device was the split personality, much like your uh, k- fool in King Lear, <laughs> perhaps mentally compromised. A uh, young yeah. inventor who Christ. who, um, who, uh, shared a split personality when he drank a potion a la Nutty Professor. He became Brewster DeVice, which was the Al Pacino <laughs> side of his personality. Um, because... so you can
2: go back and listen to it. So it's one of our earlier episodes. Yeah, we I can't this. remember
1: when we talked about it, but um, it was probably the, uh, sure. the Sixth Sense episode because that was 99. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, but it was, uh, I don't even remember if I... Uh, th- this is how bad it got there. I mean, those were my two characters, but I don't even remember playing them at this point. I don't know what the heck. I, I think they had changed the costume and they, they had kind of homogenized things so much that there was no, uh, uh, any of the ways in which we filled out the characters, they kind of gotten, they kind of streamlined it down to, so that uh, like six people could be playing Brewster device and you all kind of had to play them a little bit the same way. And mm. it was just, it was there. It was not a, it was much more corporate and much less fun there. Um, you know, and I was really, I mean, I, I was really just kind of counting the, it's so funny that I stayed there as long as I did. Um, because I think I was there until late summer or fall of '99, and then finally it was like I can't do it anymore. But it's hard to
2: leave. But at that, like, at that point when we were just a couple of years out of college, yeah. it's hard to leave. And it was
1: equity. Like, when you have a steady getting, gig. Yeah, right. it was, and it was an equity thing. I was getting yeah, you know, I was getting weeks and in health insurance and all this stuff. I was like, well, I mean, it's acting? <laughs> Question mark.
0: Um, <laughs> was the food good there? I never ate there. Was it any good? Some of it was. Some of it I really liked. Actually, did you get free food? Was-
1: no, you've got discounted food like 50% off like uh, and then they, they would have a staff meal when you came in at night, which was you know whatever like a bunch of ziti and they like, throw some chicken in it sometimes. but <laughs> but I mean on but on the weekend sometimes I'd be like, all right on Saturday night's shift I remember I would get like their burger or, like some of their salads mm. and stuff were really good. Um, yeah it was pretty it wasn't bad. Um, and like I said, the first year that I worked there was really fun and then the second year was not so much, but I was also, you know, but I, you know, I appreciate it. Like you say, it's like, an it was, it was, it was work and and I appreciated it. I was also doing a lot of temping at the time. That's why office space mm. kind of reminded me yeah. so much of the stuff I was doing at this point in the nineties. Cause I had worked a lot at Goldman Sachs and some other, some other firms and stuff, just doing the very basic temp shit. Just like, you know, just filing and collating and stapling and copy. I wasn't doing anything of note, but you know. Put on a jacket and a tie, and I would go to these places. And, and you uh, go, yeah. um I spent a lot of time at Goldman Sachs, and what was really depressing was like going through. You know, I, one of the things I had to do was like I would just have to file a lot of these uh annual financial reports for clients of theirs, like people that they were, and oh,
0: to see, see the like money
1: the money, to oh, see like because you couldn't help it. It wasn't like spot. It was like it's on the front, the the cover page of these annual reports oh, and stuff. God. And it was a very interesting time because all the guys who were like coming up there who were like, you know, junior brokers or whatever the hell, I don't even know what the fuck the guys did. They were all (laughs) younger than us. You know, I was like, you know, So they were just out of college. I was like five years out of college at that point, or something. And
0: well, this is the big dot com boom happens right here. Yeah, boom and bust Mm -hmm. happens right here. And they were like using, you know, taking that money that's being. They were already so rich. All those kids
1: you didn't enjoy spending time with in high school, and now they're like dickheads. You You can call them dickheads. (laughs) And and they were like, and they were like doing so much talking about their who bought a boat and who was going to go do this. I was like, I'm literally taking bagels that off of like this morning, you know, it's six o'clock and I'm taking like a stale God. bagel and I'm like, oh, this will be good with some butter on it for dinner. And like, you know, like stealing, <laughs> stealing my dinner. And, but, yet, but at the same time, I kind of, I pitied them because I was like, I know I have no money. I probably will never have any money, but I know what I want to do. And I know what I like to do. And I don't think they like what they're doing. Like they all seemed very Bored by what they were doing, and it was all just about where I want to be by a certain time financially. But they didn't seem to like care about what they, I could tell. They didn't really care about what they were doing, other than the fact that they were making money at it. And I remember distinctly being like, "Maybe I'm a fucking idiot, but I would not trade places." So it was it was interesting. You know what you had that
2: they time. didn't have? What flair?
1: Oh. Flair. <laughs> you had a lot of flair, Freddie. You're so right. And I love you. <laughs> and, I'm, and we're going to we're gonna talk now. We're talking about office work. We're going to talk about a little uh, motion picture called the office space.
0: <laughs> office space. Well, it looks like you've been missing quite a bit of work lately.
3: Well, I would say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a straight shooter with upper management written all
1: over him. We're
0: going to be getting rid of these people here. Mr. Samir. Okay.
1: okay. Not
0: going to work here anymore anyway. Ha
1: <laughs> ha! You haven't been showing up, and you get
3: to keep your job. Actually, I'm being promoted.
0: Thank you, Bob. This is a
1: a suck.
3: They're going to throw you out on the street so that Bill Lumberg's stock will go
1: up. It's completely unfair. Intertech deserves to go down. We're just the guys to do it. Peter Gibbons, played by Ron Livingston, hates his soul-killing job at Goldman Sachs. Oh, I'm so sorry. His... Peter Givens, played by Ron Livingston, hates his soul-killing job at software company Inatech. While undergoing hypnotherapy, Peter is left in a blissful state when his therapist dies in the middle of their session. Suddenly, Peter is refusing to work overtime, he's playing video games at his desk, and he unintentionally charms two consultants into promoting him, placing him on the management fast track. However, when Peter learns that his two friends, Michael and Samir, played by David Herman and Ajay Nadu, are about to be downsized, the trio hatches a plan to exact revenge on the company, inspired by Richard Pryor's embezzling subplot from Superman (laughs) 3. 20th Century Fox originally wanted Mike Judge's comedy, which also stars Jennifer Aniston and Gary Cole, to focus squarely on Stephen Root's Milton. A character based on a real-life coworker of judges in Silicon Valley, who had threatened to quit if their company moved his desk yet again. Mm. Office space flopped at the box office, taking in four point two million dollars over its opening weekend and only ten point eight million dollars by the end of its theatrical run, but it went on to become a tremendous cult hit on cable and home video. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Office Space?
2: I really enjoy this movie. Me and too. I didn't I didn't see it when it first came out. I I didn't have an interest in it. I, well, you know, it's so interesting because I was reading about. They were saying that Mike Judge in an interview was saying that one of the biggest issues was no one knew how to promote this movie.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, I can see saying, that. Yeah. What are we gonna do? Like the posters, there was this guy like covered in post its. So <laughs> right, no one that. really, no one knew what to do, and he's like, "You, it's not a movie that you can make a trailer for." So mm. there was never a good trailer. So the only—it's
1: all about how boring life at your right. office is. And exactly. how do you like take scenes from that and make it compelling? You're right. Yeah. So yeah. they were
2: like, we were—we we, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to, to how to sell it or promote it at all. <laughs> and so I think that was one part of it, but it was also all I knew of it was, it was Mike judge. I was like, Mike judge. Oh, that's the Beavis and Butthead guy. Right. I was never a Beavis and Butthead fan, which is strange considering I was such a big like fan of heavy metal and all the music they liked. And like, yeah. I know, Su- huh. I, I knew so many kids like that, you know, in high it school. It was so
0: big when we were in college, Beavis and Butthead. So big. I, I hated it. I always, I didn't like it.
2: <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't find it <laughs> I didn't funny I think it was either.
1: funny. I was yeah. like, I loathed it. I was like, these are just the two lowest common denominator kid like it, it didn't never struck me as funny but that's something he really that judge really focuses on is like those kind of you know it, idiocracy you, you could yeah. which we're going to talk about later in the year idiocracy mm. you can draw a straight line from beavis and butthead to idiocracy <laughs> um and a straight line from this movie to silicon valley later you know all that yeah. stuff but yeah, uh, yeah. it's it's really interesting right. i really underestimated him for Years because of Beavis and Butthead. I just Me thought it was too. like oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: So that's why when this came out, I really didn't want to see it. I had a bit of a disdain, like when people would say, Oh, you should see it. I was like, Eh, d- really? Do I? <laughs> so I don't know when I first saw it. It was it was maybe a, a year or so after it came out. I think I finally, and it was, it reminded me of the movie Anchorman in the sense, I mean, they're nothing mm. alike, but that when I saw them, the, the first time I saw both those movies, I was like, eh. And then I saw them again. I was like, oh, oh wow. no, 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 that's really that's really good. Like I, <laughs> I liked it at first, but it just didn't, it didn't grab me. And then I saw it again and I really enjoyed it. And I've seen it several times since, you know, when I rewatched it a couple of days ago. Mm. It dies out for me a little bit, towards the end. But I, it, it's it, a thoroughly enjoyable movie. I know everyone talks about Stephen Root, who's a genius. Oh, he's probably one of the greatest so character great. actors we have. Yeah. I mean, he's Absolutely. a chameleon. So good. He's so good. But Ron Livingston, I, he doesn't get enough credit, man. No, he he's, does not. He is so... He's great in everything he does. But man, is he good in this. He's such a great everyman. He's so likable. He's, he's just vanilla enough and he's also <laughs> just quirky enough like yeah. he's a little off-center that's something like the thing like the tension in his mouth that he's always got i i loved him especially in this rewatch i was like man
1: oh yeah he's
2: really good and the whole cast is fantastic
1: okay. i have a note here of like how did he not become a bigger star i thought he was on a track to become a bigger star at Livingston. I really thought he would. really thought he was yeah. going to.
0: I would have thought that it was because of this, because he had the chance to headline a big, you know, movie by a by a comedy writer that was very successful with Beavis and Butthead and everything. And it kind of, as you said, oh, because in the intro, it didn't Jason, do very well. didn't do very well, and they're like, "Well, this was this guy's shot to to yeah. to, to take take his." thing, whatever he has to offer next level. But again, it, I, I don't fault him in any way, shape or form. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's the kind of movie that flew under the radar it certainly did for me for many years. I didn't mm-hmm. see it until Jeremy Vaney, our old yes. roommate uh, and fellow podcaster, um, said, oh, you haven't seen Office Space? You got to see Office Space. I
1: think I, I saw it with him and Bob the first time when they lived yeah. uh, on Lower East Side the, before yeah. we all lived together. I think that's where I first saw it was yeah. at their apartment. And they were like, you got to watch Office Space. And I was like, I all mean, right.
2: Actually, now that come to think of it, I think I may have seen it <laughs> with like, you guys or them in Queens. That sounds I very think, familiar. Yeah. Jeremy probably foisted it on me as well. Yeah, Jeremy I was a big did fan. not see
0: it. Yeah, he was a huge fan of it. Because they were did people who were
2: in the know, so that, I feel yeah. like. There were always right. people that I knew that were like, oh, you got to see it. And it I was, was like, a eh. cool
1: movie because it was like – it was a cult movie. It was like uh, this yep. movie that um, certain people knew about and like, oh, you got to – yeah, you got to see this. It feels like a precursor also to The Office. I mean like, to the British in Office way, because yeah. that was like three – two or three yep. years before – Ricky Gervais did his and then obviously the, the American version. But it feels like I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky Gervais saw it and was like, yeah, I want to do something about there's something in that boss I had. Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh,
0: we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: I'm sorry about that. I,
3: I forgot. Mm, yeah.
2: Now you watch it. And you, it's all recognizable. This type of stuff in the movies, you know, yeah. the annoying boss, the 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 tedium. But at the time, I, I I have to think, and maybe that was a reason why I was like, eh, I don't really get it. It's not boring, but it's mundane, and that's what the movie is about. It's about this, you know, just going through the mundane moments, and then you know, shows like The Office have taken that to an even you know, deeper, mm-hmm. and further level. Mm-hmm. But I right. feel like
0: this is where it might start. It's such a gray movie. I mean, talk about mundane, you know, it, it, even the, you know, everyone is clothed in gray. All the cubicles mm-hmm. are yeah. gray. The carpet is gray. The the, the machines yeah. are gray. It's just, it's just all these gray and white and off-white tones um, throughout the movie, the most colorful, colorful place they go is Chotsky's. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's just a really—it's <laughs> interesting. Which is the flip movie. side?
1: It's almost too—that's too much the it's other way. Much. Where it's like, it's oh Jesus much. Christ!
0: Yeah, it's too <laughs> yeah. much. It's like faux restaurant. You know, it's like yeah. uh, it's like Benegans or one of those restaurants. It's like all, yeah. this is your hometown place. It's like no, it isn't. It's as corporate as anything else. It's really a movie about against the corporate mentality and and how it crushes. You know crushes souls and crushes dreams and everything else. And now of course in offices, I mean, now with COVID it's all changed and it's, and it's changing again with people working at home. And now it's like the office can be anywhere your computer is. But, um, you know pre-covid the cubicle thing was had almost been uh, taken away i think and eradicated from offices where you have these more open office formats yeah. and mm-hmm. people can actually see each other because they realized oh it helps people work <laughs> you know it doesn't distract people it, it actually helps them uh do their work because they're you know they're they feel like more of a human being and they're not uh downtrodden <laughs> well <then> like <laughs> there's know?
1: that great scene where he literally knocks down right he yes. comes back yep. and he knocks to see down the outside and just so you can see just the street, just part of the the, 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 the office lot. park it's yeah. just it's nothing but there's but you yeah. see breeze blowing through the tree and you're like well yeah <laughs> that's nicer than just right. looking at corkboard or whatever the hell yeah. is, you know what i mean
2: originally you know at first i was i'm like wow this is like a real celebration of like no motivation or you know not caring um
0: underachiever and proud of it like Bart simpson right yeah yeah, yeah and, you, say- and he gets rewarded for it yeah. And he says,
2: it's, I think he says, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I just don't care. <laughs> but then there's the flip side of that where you, it gets sort of interesting where you go, well, that's fine, but you do have to do something. Yeah, You do have to work and you can't steal money. You know, then it like, it turns a little yeah. and, and it, then it becomes really sad because it's like, well, what are you going to do? Right. You know, you, you, you,
0: you gotta pay your bills. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the master stroke of this movie is he starts as this edgy, you know, this on edge, totally stressed. Then he has his blissed out, you know, <laughs> hypnotherapy moment. And then he's completely Zen and blissed from then on. So great. But then that guy that he was at the beginning of the movie starts to creep back in yeah. after he realizes, holy fuck. We actually could go to actual jail, and things could be so much worse than they were before. <laughs> yeah. And he starts to become that stressed out guy, and accusatory, and and paranoid, and accusing mm. Jennifer, Jennifer Anderson, and freaking out. And it's like, yeah, you're you're exactly right, Fred. It's 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 actually a movie about finding the balance. It's not mm-hmm. it, it it's sort of a movie about rebellion, but it's actually a movie about like, because what else are you going to do? Burn the place down? Okay. I could set the building on fire. For me, this um this movie is not a laugh out loud, you know, belly laugh, double over kind of a movie. Yeah, agree. It's a chuckle, it's a you know, you sort of chuckle your way through it. There's a couple of hearty laughs in it, but for me, this movie is about characters. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of three-dimensional characters going on um other than Livingston. The other ones are are kind of are are kind of two-dimensional. But man, the actors they get makes so much more out of all of those fucking characters. Steven Root, Gary Cole, uh, John C. McGinley. The, the, I think um, Jennifer
1: Aniston's really three-dimensional. She's terrific. Well. Yeah, she's a so three-dimensional character. You're right. Yeah. She's that got a That moment where,
2: uh, where he asks her to watch Kung Fu and just you see yes.
1: just- Great moment. <laughs> they, it's like she falls in love with them right there. They fall yeah, in love so with each good. other right there. Right.
0: Yeah, she has so dimension good. and depth. Ferg- uh, um, Livingston does. But the other ones are all pretty pretty paper thin, but the performers bring so much to it that you just, you fall in love with each of their interpretations of these characters. And that's Mm. the, that's the fun of the movie. It's like to me is watching Steven Root and Gary Cole and the others do their thing with this movie. You know, that's, what's fun about it to me. And I, I, if I, you know, if I had a, a big fancy, you know, theater repertory company on Broadway, Stephen Root's the first guy I would reach out to and be like, "Hey, do you want to play all the dream roles you've ever wanted to play?" Because He's, He's a lot, fantastic. You can can you believe this is the same actor who plays the the dickhead boss on on uh, news radio? It's the yeah. same human being right. or and the, 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 the hit Dan and Barry. He's brilliant.
1: He's, he's brilliant. So versatile. And he's, he's, and he's unrecognizable. And it is. And it's yeah. the character that, that Fox wanted to hinge the whole movie on. And, and yeah, that he, that's have what worked. It. Well, I think there were animated sequences. I think Mike judge did little animated shorts called Milton. I think it was a cartoon he had, where it was all about Oh yeah, I saw the that guy the with credits. his stapler yeah. and the guy, you know, like who just wants to burn the office park down and stuff. And that, uh, so I don't think it was ever like something where Stephen Root was cast and then it was like, sorry, we're minimizing your role now. It wasn't that. Right. But, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, from the beginning, my my judge was like, how do you relate to that character? He's so extreme. I don't really want to. I think there's a quote he says. I don't know that you want to follow that guy home and see what his life is. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> the tone of that is a very different
0: movie. Yeah. They've moved my desk four times already this year, and I used to be over by the window and I could see the squirrels and they were married, but then they switched from the swing line to the Boston Stapler. But I kept my swing line stapler because it didn't bind up as much and, and I kept the staples for the swing line stapler. I think this is
1: I, I'm so surprised to hear that you don't find it really laugh out loud funny. I find it hysterically funny. Do you? I re- oh good. Oh, oh I'm glad. I I think it's so so funny. Yeah I and I think I titter my way through it. Yeah. I think it's really, really smart. I think it's re- I mean Mike Judge is very smart and, and very insightful, but I think on top of the, the grayness and the drabness, which is so, that's such a great it's observation. Gray. It's also everything, it's like that, it's like what I was saying when I was talking about <laughs> nothing but trouble last week. And I was like, it's like a stomachache nightmare where you just, <laughs> where things, you never get, you never get anywhere. Like you keep taking the Ajax off the grocery store <laughs> shelf and then you need Ajax again. And you're like, uh, that that futility, that's all throughout this. Everything, even the logo to the company in a tech it's it's a name that means nothing and the logo means nothing but if you look at the logo it is itself an exercise in futility it is like an 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 mc escher drawing it is like it's all these you're like are those the letter e collapsing on itself three times is it like it's like a maze or a puzzle and and, and there's no it's like pure futility it means nothing and there's no way to even decipher it it's that's brilliant i think that's i think graphically that's genius and i and even the nature of livingston's job not only is it feel like an exercise in futility but it's also utterly ephemeral it's like his whole job is preparing for y2k Okay, and what happens after that? You know, now there's we have the 2020 hindsight of, you know, there were people who thought planes are going to fall out of the sky and why, you know, that it's just all computer systems are going to fail. So, yes, this is an important, potentially a very important job to make sure that all the systems recognize the year 2000 when it (laughs) pops up. Uh, But with hindsight. It makes the movie even more brilliant because you're like, yeah, his whole job is about a thing that ultimately was nothing, nothing. meant nothing, did nothing, a big bust. It just makes it feel even less consequential than he feels it is as he's doing it in the film. I I just think it's great. I think there's a lot of great. Detail like that throughout I mean, you, you've you said it all All those actors are so great Gary Cole is I mean, oh, I'm so God. amazed By what Stephen Root and Gary Cole In particular do They're such good actors Such mm-hmm. great comedic actors But, like, to do things that broad on film and have them still work. You're right; they're not yeah. utterly three dimensional characters, but you feel for Milton and you hate Lumberg, and oh, you know because God. they really they tap into something very real. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking the way Milton is treated, the way Stephen Root is treated in that movie. Oh, when he doesn't movie. get the cake, I'm so angry at that When, point. when, when like, they when in they in find a a out that the guy cake that the guy has been was fired years ago, and they don't have the balls to like to sit oh. him down and tell him. They'll just let him keep doing odds and ends. Yeah. Maybe he'll do something that'll help the company, but he'll For figure no it path. out on his own that he right. doesn't work here anymore. It's horrible. Oh. It's really dark. It's really dark. So I think it also has like a really uh, dark comic strain oh, running yeah. throughout it the too. The other brilliant
2: stroke is the uh, just having it all gangster rap. The
0: sound oh, I rap. love so it. So good. So great
1: i, I love it yeah gangster been, rap is to this film what british invasion is to rushmore right i mean the soundtrack yeah, of it yeah, is, yeah. it's yeah. so great and that f- terrific scene you talk about david herman as the friend michael I-, I think he is a more nuanced character than a lot of the other uh actors yeah you're in the right film. you're right but i love yeah. the moment where he's at the beginning he's in his car listening to gangster <gasps> rap and then and he what, shuts, is, the, he oh shuts the window God. and at it because a black oh, person walks by he's God. so it's so funny. It is. Um, What's amazing
2: about this movie that I was reading was that it really, if I mean, you were talking about, you know, working at Bennigan's and and just the over the topness of TGIF. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was reading that TGIF used to have all that flair. That was part of it. Oh, and yeah, it was on there. I was on there. After yeah. the movie, they, they, they cut it out.
1: Oh, oh you know, as a result of this yeah. movie? They're that's like, great. Right. Okay, we've gone too far. There was that's
2: that. Awesome. And also, the other thing was awesome. the red, I guess, Slingerland is the name of the company that makes the stapler. I believe Swingline. Swing line. Swingline. Swing line. like yep. line is a drum maker. Uh, Yet yeah, they never made a red stapler, It was only for this movie. And after this movie, they came out with the red stapler. They came
1: out with the red stapler. Yes, yeah. people it's love it. <laughs> for them.
3: Look at
2: that indication. Indication. It really is. I mean, character.
1: total cult film. Like, really, his head. Yeah. it's had legs. I also love to, you know, just being the nerd that I am. I'm like, they're describing that that scheme with the half cents, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, that's <laughs> Superman three. And then they say. It's from Superman 3. And I was like, yes, it is. And then uh, and he says it's actually a pretty underrated movie. And I'm like, Yo, yes, it is, sir. And that is a great part of Superman 3. That is a smart little plot. I mean, when I was a kid and I saw Superman 3, I was like, that's nonsense. There's no such thing as a half-sense yes. floating around in the ether. And maybe there isn't. Maybe Mike judge was like, I remember Superman 3. That'd be fun.
3: There are always fractions left over in big corporations, but they round it down to the lowest whole number. What am I supposed to do with half a cent, by a third red mouse? You mean everybody loses those fractions? Well, they don't exactly lose them. You can't lose what you never got. Then what happens to all those half-cents? The company gets it? No, no, not really. They can't be bothered to collect a half-cent from your paycheck any more than
0: you could. Then what happens to them? Well,
3: they're just floating around out there. The computer's nowhere.
1: Uh, We're probably not going to review Superman 3 on this <laughs> podcast, but I'm telling you. Go back and give it a look. It's not so bad. If you see office space, you see
0: all the good parts of Superman three, which (laughs) is just that (laughs) plot.
1: Yes, Um, and yes, and Ron Livingston fights another version of himself in an automobile graveyard. So that's (laughs) it's uh, it's all there. It's
0: all there. This is one of the, um, you know, w- one of the better. So we've seen a few social satires on this podcast, but this is one of the better ones, I think, you know, it's tough to do. And, and it reminded me of that when you talked about Ga- what Gary Cole's doing and how he's modulating and how and how it's so subtle. It is broad and yet it's not too broad. for yeah. film, You know, and John C. McGinley and the other guy, the Bobs, they're he- doing similar, similar stuff there. And that's what good satire does. Right. It's it's just unreal enough where you go oh Mm -hmm. my god that's so crazy and yet it reminds you of people so many people you know so many people
2: have had these these you know, temp jobs or office jobs. Oh, so I remember
0: it, us at Princeton Review all stretching out our day. You know, when he gives that that speech about, like, yes. yeah, I do about 15 minutes of work in a week. That's what I that's thought us. of. I thought
1: of Princeton Review. I wrote what
2: that. I us? wrote that when he talks about he does 15 minutes of work. I wrote, that's me at TPR. <laughs> yes. That's that was exactly all of us. what we would do. Yeah, yeah. But so, us. yeah, it's one of those things where it's such a simple movie, but that's what makes it so recognizable and relatable to people, I think. How many Sheilas?
0: hmm what i give meat wally sparks i give it three <laughs> times as much as that because it's three times as good
1: i mean three times zero is still zero no i don't know what you gave i don't remember what you gave me Wally sparks honestly no, i'm gonna
0: go uh 7.5 on this i really enjoyed it i think i'm gonna meet you there 7.5 well yeah. played well played fred I, I, i'm going all the way up to
1: like <gasps> i'm gonna go Eight point seven five. I'm just shy of a nine on this. Do
0: it. Why? That's like like eight Sheilas and like three Bostwicks almost.
1: (laughs) Yes, if a Bostwick is point twenty five, yeah, one. Yeah. Um Ah, fuck it. Nine. I'm going to go 9 Give Damn. it a 9
2: Fly, fly to the sky with Fly to the, to the, sky. the October sky <gasps> you Oh, there
1: you were just You were trying to do sky. that There you were, That's outbreak monkey You, you were start. trying to do that all the
2: time <laughs> Take, you know, hand it to Barry Bostwick to Get him on that flying motorcycle <laughs> And have him fly up to the sky And give Jake Gyllenhaal that, that thumb kiss <laughs>
3: Jesus
1: <laughs> Christ <laughs> Oh, good Lord It's October sky
0: It's the radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik it traverses the october sky
2: do you see sputnik over the other night anywhere in the world someone could look up and see exactly what i
0: saw to everyone else it was just a light in the sky let them have outer space we got rock right and roll but to homer hickam it was the future
3: sputnik is a milestone
2: in history and
0: just maybe a way out
2: college scholarships for winning a science
3: fair <laughs> i'm gonna build a rocket you better take an interest in your own town just
1: don't blow yourself up nah. Based on a true story, October Sky is the tale of young Homer Hickam, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who becomes obsessed with rocket science after seeing Sputnik 1 crossing the night sky. However, his father John, played by Chris Cooper, is a West Virginia coal miner who fully expects his children to follow in his footsteps and who disapproves of his son's new mania. Nevertheless, Homer begins building rockets with the help of three friends and a sympathetic teacher, played by Laura Dern. Rocketry, he hopes, will not only prove his ticket to the stars, but to a better life as well. Joe Johnston's period drama was well-received by critics and earned $5.9 million over its opening weekend, en route to a worldwide total of $34.7 million. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of October Sky?
0: Uh, I liked it, but it was one of those movies that I kept trying to find reasons to not like it throughout the movie. And the movie kept really? giving me those reasons. And I kept going, okay, now I have reason to not like it. And then at the end, I'm fucking crying. So fuck you. <laughs> fuck Joe Johnston. This movie got me. I'm a sucker, sucker, sucker for anything sentimental and anything where the dad, I mean, for God's sake, Chris Cooper. Jesus Christ, you're so good. It sickens me. And he just shows up and just pushes the button, and I'm in tears. And I'm like, fucking it!" this movie just manipulated the shit out of me for two Mm. hours, and I didn't want it to. How many blocking characters do you need in one movie? You have the father. You have the vice principal. You have the... Yeah. people, you have. I mean, Jesus, how many times does he have to have that conversation with the dad? It's the same. He has five times he has the same conversation about, yeah. I want to follow my dreams. No, you're going to work in the coal mine. I finally know what Zoolander is spoofing, by the way, this movie. When they work in the coal mine, mo- when John oh, Voight. Yeah. Oh, go- yeah. oh, my you know, God. It's this movie is what th- that That's- is spoofing. And it's oh hysterical. And I never knew that. Which I'd is weird this. because
1: this feels like such an under the radar movie. I didn't totally know what the fuck it was radar. or was about right. until last week when we were like, okay, what are we doing? No. The third movie. We had a right. couple things to choose from. And we were like, okay, October Sky. I knew nothing about this. I saw it on a this. plane. Oh, you, you did saw, it? Seen I, saw it?
2: I saw bits and pieces of it on a plane you know it must have been a couple months after
0: it came out oh, I didn't Jesus. remember
2: much about it mm. um but but yes you're absolutely right it wasn't under the radar movie yeah, yeah I don't
0: even remember it coming out you know does Laura Dern have to get cancer I on know top of everything else, but I mean mom. but it's based on a real
1: story so then I'm like well how much of it is it That's feels so Hollywood had, that yeah. I'm like well yeah. I don't know what's Hollywood and what's Legit, you know, exactly. what was a real thing, although yeah. she did like that. Was when, in the, at the end, they do show the they teacher. I think it, the teacher yeah. did die young, yeah, she, did. she died like at 30 something years old. So. old. So, it's so it was like, a real Jesus. thing, and I'm sure they were salivating in Hollywood. They're like, they're like, hot diggity, <laughs> right? We, we, get got to, everything we get to we give need the nice here. lady cancer. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we got every single thing we need here with this thing (laughs) just baked into the actual real story but yeah you don't know how much of it's real because you the whole time you're going oh come on come on But god damn it if this thing didn't get me um you know i i love all four kids all four of the kids were great they were all different they They all had great personalities i was like this is what monster squad absolutely should have been it should have been these four kids You know, because they and fighting Dracula with rockets. Put those two <laughs> movies together, boom!
1: I thought Chris Cooper was Dracula. Is this not Monster Squad <laughs> <laughs> too? He's in the dark all the time. There's w- <laughs> baths under there. Oh. oh
0: God!
2: No, that's Pacino in scent of a woman. You're thinking. <laughs>
0: oh, I see. <laughs> he's in the dark, the dark here. Hey, you're you're thinking about the
2: blind leprechaun. It's nice.
1: all melding together. There's yeah. 39 episodes, and it's all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I did like it. And I and I was just I was upset that I was being manipulated so much. And I kept wanting to find reasons to not like it. And uh, but I, ultimately, I, you know, I, I, I came around to it at the end, because I can't, I can't not be, uh, weeping like a child at a, at a father-son, uh, reconciliation. Mm. So, um, F off Joe Johnson. It's funny. I I hear
2: what you're saying about, like, it is a very manipulative movie, but I, I never felt manipulated. I actually, wow. It, it never. I never thought. I really, really enjoyed this movie. Good for you. And I watched it. Like I said, I remember enjoying what I, you know, the parts that I remembered from being on that plane ride. And then I watched it the other night with Kate and the kids, and we all really liked it. And
0: oh yeah, did the kids I, I, like it? This is a good kid movie. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, good for them. Yeah, they
2: really liked it. Good role models and it, in it, and such. I mean, every, everything you're saying is absolutely right, Dan. I mean, it is the same conversations over and over again, but mm. it never bothered me.
0: Skip and work, that's out of
3: line. And you got to know that. So, let's go and get you right with Jake. Tell him you'll work the hoot owl shift tonight. No. The
2: coal mine's your life. It's not mine.
3: I'm never going down there again.
2: Jake Gyllenhaal is... He's so good, oh, man. Yeah. When that kid—I mean, this was only—it's so funny because we we just watched City Slickers with the kids a couple uh, weeks ago. Nice. This was only a couple of years after City Slickers. He was Billy Crystal's son in that. Yes,
0: he was doing the farting under the underarm. Oh yeah. my god! I this forgot. was this
2: was his first big movie, and then after this was Donnie Darko, and that's the thing that really sort of wow. shifted for him. Yeah,
0: right. right.
2: But man, I'll tell you, when that kid smiles, yeah, I mean, it just—he lights up the screen. I mean, he's. He just sucks you in right off the bat. I mean, that moment where he decides, where he's like, this is what I want to do. When he's at the dinner
1: table and he says, I'm going to build a rocket. He says it like twice. It's just so simple. He's like, I want to build a rocket. And you're like, oh, you sweet fool. Yeah.
2: and You talk about getting choked up at the end. I got choked up several times during this movie, actually. I got really choked up when I think it was the first time. They go and they set up like the rocket site, and um, the really geeky kid—I'm blanking on his name—Quentin,
0: yeah, Quentin. Quentin—that's his yeah. name. Yeah,
2: he's got a moment by the where kid, he's kid from of,
0: American Pie. He's, he's from American, American Pie, exactly. American pie. And
2: there's just like a shot of of that of Quentin smiling, and yes. I got really choked up because it was like, oh, this kid—he's got no friends, yeah. and now he's got friends. He found his people, and he's found people who are who are willing to let him, you know, be himself. Homer, you you figured this equation out by yourself?
3: Or it, if I did the math right, it proves that you can't... It proves we didn't start that fire!
0: The misstep I think the movie makes, and it's teensy, is that I think the connection between him reconciling with the Union and... Th- that being the thing that makes it possible for Jake Gyllenhaal to get another rocket delivered to him is very thin to me. I thought ridiculous. that was like, wh- what is the, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I was like, are got, you fucking got a kidding, little kidding me? I there actually. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't understand the connection there. I don't understand what, I was why like, you, you to- end
1: the whole strike. So one man can build your son a rocket.
0: Yeah, and that does not make sense. Is that it's a what little, it was? I mean, I that's still what it felt like. Question. It was like it,
1: like, it was like man. so he could get that guy into the <laughs> shop to make a rocket. I mean, that's oh, what it felt like. That's, okay, that may wow. not be what's happening, but that's oh, how thin that. it felt.
2: What did I, you I think, I know what you're saying. I, I think. I think it was just that. Normally, <laughs> if someone was like, "Hey, we need one of your workers to build your son something for his rocket," we'd been like, "Fuck you! I'm not. He's not wasting his time." But now he was like, "My son's in trouble. He's he's doing something. He's really going for this." All right. Go,
1: go do this. But go but it seemed like ending the, that the strike, it hinged on that. That's what maybe, it felt like. It was like going, something. going. I no, know. I don't think. you. I mean, <laughs> I think you are. Yeah, I think you're missed something because I think it was like the wife was basically saying, you've got to help your son. So go down there and end and that strike so that guy can go build a rocket
0: uh, i see i didn't even make it that direct of a connection i thought she was saying hey end this i know you have bigger fish to fry right now but the thing that's really important is that your son needs you so yes so oh, so, end so end then he strike so that you can't don't need to have that in your oh, on your mind really so that you like... can then help your son but i was like that's so thin to me but no the more you guys are talking about i think it's what you're saying <laughs> I think think it's like I need that person to be back at work,
1: and he can't cross the line to go in there and build a rocket unless everybody goes back to work.
0: It's a ridiculous movie.
1: All right, here's what I'm going to say about it. (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry, Jason. No, 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 no. Actually, I really like. I started. I I was like, oh my gosh. I started out really liking it at the beginning. I thought, boy, that I thought the opening was wonderful. All, All the. All the, the wonder in the eyes of all these these old men listening to the you know older men listening oh, you know like getting thing, the shave yeah. and the you know they were all like little boys again and also yeah. it's like oh but the Russians did this There's was just just the fact yeah. of of what was happening the historic moment it was just beautiful watching people listen to it and and then reckon with it in different ways it's so it's so simple but it's so powerful when Gyllenhaal is going to work in the mines because he has to go to work in the mines. And yeah. you're literally—he's seeing, I think he's seeing Sputnik again in the yeah, sky, great and shot. and yeah. and he wants to go up he even says it as as baldly as i want to be in space i want to go to space and he's literally doing the opposite he's going deeper into the earth as he's he's being pulled down the exact opposite i thought that was great and it's very it's very it's a wonderful life in a lot of ways there's a a whole section where he's literally he's with that girl very much like jimmy stewart's with donna reed when Mm. he gets the news about his father having the heart attack the fact that they're together and then their romantic moment is interrupted by somebody saying come quick something happened to your father that's straight out of it's a Wonderful Life, him giving up his dreams yes. to go work at the family right. business because of his father's injury, so his yes. brother can seize oh an opportunity God. instead of going to work in the that's exactly the plot of It's a Wonderful Life. And I thought, how much of this
0: is it's a wants to be a Frank Capra movie? And how much well, of this is is, there is Homer that, Hickam's uh, life? There's that cut scene where the principal says, Out you two pixies, go <laughs> out the door, or out the window, and he but, throws uh, them out of the school. That's well, cut. I'll tell you, as
1: As soon as as the landlord from Spider-Man 2 says, I carry this into the mines for good luck, I'm like, he's dead. dead." Yeah, Yeah, you're dead. The guy's going (laughs) to die down there. And I was like, at that point, I was like, oh, this is one of those movies. I was like, and I'm not usually not that cynical about stuff like this because I am a soft touch, too. And I cry like at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. But the movie makes a lot of movie choices that are very late 90s feel good, inspirational drama. It's very, it's, it's a lot better than Simon Birch or Patch Adams, mm. but it leans in those directions. It's Ooh, very, yeah. it's very sentimental and tugging at the heartstrings and it's, you know, Joe Johnston is um, he's, he's, he makes, his movies are well-made and technically proficient and he has a great flair for Americana,
0: yeah, obviously Rock- the Rocketeer, yes, yeah.
1: Captain America. This, yeah. I mean that type period stuff. He's good at that. But he right. he doesn't really have a, a real signature or a personality, and I and it's not a prerequisite for me to enjoy a movie, but I do I do tend to notice that when it feels like when the director's hand isn't there, you know, and especially a week like this when we're going to talk about Rushmore, which is like such a you know I know when I'm watching a Wes Anderson or a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Tim yep. Burton or a Spielberg or Tarantino, and, and I like that. Some people think that's a flaw when films are too you know like too much in a style a directorial style well, but it comes i feel from like
0: auteur theory you know what i mean yeah, and well, i think it's from, like yeah. any
1: other thing if i see a painting and i'm like uh, you know a, a monet yeah. or a van gogh versus <laughs> something hanging on the wall in a motel i'm you know that i like that difference <laughs> i like that i can tell that difference i like the artist's hand at work and joe johnson you have something, I you have something always-
0: against thomas kincaid uh, yeah, no, he's all
1: right. Um, oh, okay. What about <laughs> Reuben Kincaid? See? <laughs> His
0: now, artwork was fantastic.
1: Now, uh, Reuben Kincaid might as well have directed this movie. No, I...
2: <laughs> great soundtrack, huh? Uh, uh, I don't La remember Bay the soundtrack 50, to this. Movie. What? It was great. Songs, it was all great. Yeah. Lo- that was the thing about, I noticed yeah. about all three movies. I was like, wow, all three movies have really great, very different, but great soundtracks. I thought That's it was true. it was all great 50s rock and roll. And, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good. It works. I mean, it's definitely a positive rating for, I, I mean, it's very well-made and well-acted and, but I did find, it did bug me. The manipulativeness of it bugged me. Yeah. A little it bit. Is,
2: it, I it like is. being manipulated. I like someone reaching their hand in, tickling, you know, getting down there a little bit. So how many shields would you shielders? give yeah. uh, Jakey? Mm. I'm going to give it a 7.5. <gasps> I really liked it. I, everything you're saying makes complete sense. I totally get it, and I thought, and as as you're talking, I'm like, oh, it's probably gonna bring down my rating, but it didn't. I don't know. Now, you're still not bringing me down. There's shot and a half.
0: of him showing the rocket, and they're all gathered around him like it's the fucking Beatles yeah you know, but i think all at that time like, it was oh tell us more about your your phallic rocket you know that's not a thing that's not a thing well seven. maybe in the wake seven of
1: sputnik sheilas. in the wake of sputnik but you're giving it
0: seven sheilas i'm giving it seven sheilas so sputnik am i or no sputnik so am i so we're right so what are you, there so what are near we talking
2: about we're still in the, we're all in the same we're area all in the same
0: area this.
1: It's all like, it, it's all our various tolerances for manipulation and our, <laughs> our you know, tolerance for Joe Johnston. No, you, I, Joe Johnston's just- a perfectly nice guy and makes perfectly nice movies. They're nice it movies. It looks great. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's
0: a gorgeous movie. Listen, Fred, you tell your kids, okay, if they, no, this is for real. If they see a kid sitting alone in the cafeteria, go sit by them.
2: I tell them that all the time. You do? I say sit by them and then throw something in their face <laughs> and walk away and say, Why are you sitting alone? No, I do. I say that all the
0: time. Good. So if someone's sitting alone, don't sit. throw corn down their ass. Don't do that in the cafeteria. <laughs> and don't make fun of their thanksgiving pants no this <laughs> the, uh, that got me all right i'll go up to fucking 7.5 because that oh. got me <laughs> wow when, no because that is so so beautiful you him sitting alone, when poor he Quentin it, sitting yeah. alone. Yeah. and then gillenholt goes over to him and he's like what do you i don't have I, I i'm not doing your homework for you and he's like no 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 i'm here to actually sit. and all the other kids are looking at him like why are you sitting by the dork you know, I was like, oh, that's fucking great. It's a great moment great. when he
1: goes to sit there and they gasp. The whole yeah. cafeteria yeah, the whole is like gasps. watching and then they're like,
0: <gasps> scandal. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, 7.5. now.
1: Yeah. Wow. All right. There point we an, go. Extra point .5 for sitting next to a kid.
0: <laughs> 7.25. I'm in the middle. I'm going to .25. I give it one Barry Bostwick headband. Which is 0. 0.25, so that's where I am. 7.25. Is that? See, my Barry
2: Bostwick headband is that's way more than oh, 0.25. I don't
1: know. It all depends. Again, your <laughs> t- your your mileage <laughs> with Barry Bostwick's headband and Joe Johnston's directing may vary, <laughs> ladies okay. and gentlemen. Uh, Objects in the rearview mirror. So what you do do your it Jason? You give it I, g- I give it seven. I give it a okay. seven. Okay.
0: All right. All fine. right. We're all Good. there. Good. Give it a seven. Yeah.
1: Good. Good. What's uh, what's? I assume something's aching to get out of your sack
0: oh
2: man is it ever is it ever i got a few things i got some interesting stuff i got i got some fun stuff and i got some deep stuff you know a few people this week asked actually uh how we watch the movies where we watch them is it all like streaming um do we rent them did did this person call on the time phone
1: (laughs) no i'm well, just curious
2: because <laughs> All of them well we should available. say
1: we that's not a bad idea for us to say like it's available for rental if you, you know or it's on you know or, or if if it's not available anywhere we should let people know you got to find
0: a, I mean, a shitty to, version
1: of this on youtube
0: here you know you know which what was silkwood and i'll you know. i'll give this uh i'll give this website a uh a uh um, a, ploog. a A, a plugue, because this is how I usually find things. Just watch, all one word, justwatch.com. Oh, if you I've go to justwatch.com and you, where it says search for movies or TV shows, you put in your movie there, it'll tell you every streaming service that it's available on, free or paid. Justwatch.com. Fantastic. That's wow. Thank podcast. you for letting
1: us know after 39 no. goddamn episodes. Jesus Christ.
3: Ah.
2: Searching
1: my Roku like a bitch. <laughs>
2: So we got another letter in the mail sack and we got actually, it's a video, which I'm going to play. I'm going to show it to you guys and, and the listeners will be able to hear it. It's um from my friend, Christina Grant, who's a wonderful makeup artist that I used to work with at the Lion King. And she does make it for tons of television shows and movies and super, super talented. Oh my God. Uh, she she said episode 37 inspired this in our house. And this is a video that she made with her husband, Rob and their daughter, uh, Viola. Yes.
3: up
2: your face. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she's amazing. amazing. I'll be
1: sampling that. Shut up
2: your face. I thought you'd be happy, Dan, that you oh, know the spirit great. of uh, Joe Dolce lives on in the youth. <laughs> the, you know, children. the young people are are so the children. <laughs> oh, the children God. are our God. future. So I got another letter in the mail sack and by letter, I mean, I had a conversation, which (laughs) I found very interesting and I wanted to talk about. And I sort of mentioned to you guys, so I, we, we did uh, silence of the lambs Mm
3: -hmm. last
2: week on episode 38. And now I was not aware of this when I first saw the movie and I wasn't really aware of until after I rewatched it and read some stuff that, uh, there were, there was a lot of controversy about the portrayal of Buffalo Bill. Uh, with the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. And, and I read about this again after, because, you know, I'll, I'll be honest at the time when I saw the movie, it wasn't, I I didn't understand it because it wasn't in my purview. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't something that I thought about. Mm. Larry Kramer wrote a whole article about, I mean, there was a really, I remember there, there was, um, there's protests at the Oscars that year, which I like vaguely remember, but again, and I'm sort of ashamed to say it wasn't Something I was like, what's, what's the big deal? I don't get it. You know, I, I just, yeah. so I had a long conversation with my, my friend, Lisa Friday, who you guys know probably is Lisa Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, who was, you know, we played in, in a band together for years, Lisa Jackson girl Friday. And Lisa for several decades now has been, uh, living as a trans woman.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so when we posted, you know, we did a little teaser for the episodes as, as we do. And we had a picture of Buffalo Bill, um and she wrote me a text. She's like, oh, you know, you guys, you know, be careful. I don't want the the, the trans police coming after you. Hmm. And I was like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, let's talk. And she's like, well, give me a call. And oh. you know, she was explaining to me, and it, it 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 was pretty fascinating. As all my conversations with Lisa uh, are, they're they're all pretty fascinating, and it's always I'm always learning something. But and she was talking about why the movie, even to this day is really very damaging to the trans community and hard to watch and she reminded me and I forgot I think the crying game came out around this time as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And the those were two movies yeah.
2: that she was saying were were really awful for for that community because this is the only representation that yeah. trans people have in movies. Yeah. And I was saying, well, you know, watching it I don't see Buffalo Bill and they, they talk about in the movie, but I don't think of, you know, uh, him as as a trans person or a gay person. Like to me, it's like, it's just a fucking, it's a lunatic yeah. serial mm-hmm. killer. And her point was, yes, but again, these were the only representations that yeah. we had in Hollywood really only until like, as she said, she's like really until like last week. It feels mm. like, you know, we <laughs> yeah. start getting more representation mm. in TV and film. And she said something great. She said, you know, I'm living a very normal life, but I'm never normalized. Mm. You know, there's I th- there's nowhere where she can look in movies and TV to see herself normalized. And she recommended a movie that I want to recommend to you guys and to all our listeners. It's a documentary. It's called Disclosure. It's on Netflix. And I highly recommend watching it. It was really eye-opening and it's it was um produced by laverne cox oh um, yeah 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 from of orange Orange but it's really about the trans community how it's been portrayed really since like the dw griffiths movies it Mm. starts there Mm. and it's and lisa said this she's like you're gonna watch this and there's gonna be movies that you wouldn't even think of that are brought up and it's so I'd highly recommend watching it. It's really, really well done.
0: Um, Very cool. I will definitely watch that. Wow. Yeah.
2: You know, and, and again, Lisa was like, look, Ted Levine is fantastic in Silence of the Lambs. She's mm-hmm. not begrudging his mm-hmm. performance. Right. No, He's fantastic. Jay Davidson in Crying Game is great. You know, Hillary Swank is great in Boys Don't Cry. And mm-hmm. it's an amazing movie. And it's a true story. But her points, and I think a lot of people's points were, but that's all we're seeing. We're only seeing trans people associated with trauma, with yeah. the trauma of it. So right. even if it's a true, they're either, you know, crazy, like dressed to kill, Michael Caine, and that, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, or even Psycho. You know, it's always like yeah. associated with something bad,
0: sickness, and, and yeah, and, with you some know, sickness, or deranged. even if it's a true,
2: yeah, or even if it's a true story yeah. where you're learning, like, wow, this this person was brutally killed for being who he wanted to be, it's still about trauma. It's not just about living a normal life, living, and I don't even want to use the word normal because that, you know, that puts something on it, but just, it's like Lisa said, like I live a normal life. Let's just see that. Unfilm right, a, and a, then, an
1: unremarkable trans character yes, in some exactly. ways, right? A happy, right. unremarkable trans yeah. character. In
2: many ways, it's what what makes Shit's Creek such an unbelievable show. And I didn't realize because Dan Levy said they never. He he. You'd think that this, you know, what some would call a flamboyantly gay character moves to the sticks. You know, there would be mm-hmm. some sort of homophobia or something. It's right. never,
3: never yeah.
2: comes up in that entire. That's cool. Series. And he says, because that's what he wanted to do. He just wanted to show, you know, people living their lives and where, you know, it's almost like a utopia where it was just, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I would love to see? What's a that? stage version of Silence of the Lambs directed by Max Fisher.
1: <laughs> oh, that would be great. I would love yes. to see
2: his take on... On This
0: whole yeah. issue that yeah, we're discussing it would be great.
1: It would be right. wasn't there that wasn't there a the thing in Times Square Silence the Musical or something? There oh, was, there was, a play. yeah. I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was about <laughs> it could have been directed by a 17 year old. Did you, I think was Max it was production? Would data. be much
2: better, uh, I mean, it would be
1: hyper realistic, yeah. Uh, there'd be like a well dug
2: into the stage, <laughs> right. <laughs> It would be amazing. Like at the end, the entire theater, like the audience would probably have to put on the infrared glasses. Yes, to see the, the glasses, night vision goggles. Oh, yeah.
1: you're right. That interactive experience. I do want that. I want Max Fisher's version of everything.
0: Dirk would have to put the lotion on his skin <laughs> or else he gets the hose. <laughs> Rushmore.
1: What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for
3: the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. We're putting you on what we call sudden death academic probation. Could I see
1: some documentation on that,
3: please? Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, dad, there's gonna be
0: girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of here.
1: Jason Schwartzman is Max Fisher, a precocious and eccentric 15 year old attending the prestigious Rushmore Academy. Max is the president and in some cases founder of numerous extracurricular clubs and organizations and is infinitely more devoted to these activities than he is to his regular schoolwork, eventually causing him to be placed on sudden-death academic probation by Rushmore's headmaster, Dr. Guggenheim, played by Brian Cox. Max's determination to stay at Rushmore is both bolstered and complicated by his unusual friendships with preschool teacher Miss Cross, played by Olivia Williams, with whom he falls in love, and the unhappily married steel tycoon and former Rushmore alum, Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray, who serves as Max's mentor, confidant, and, ultimately, romantic rival. Wes Anderson's blazingly original sophomore feature is rife with the dry humor, emotional warmth, and unique visual style that have become his trademarks. After opening in a handful of theaters in December of 1998 to qualify for awards consideration, Rushmore opened wide in February and went on to earn a modest $17.2 million at the 1999 box office. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Rushmore?
3: This
2: is one of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. I'll get a Sheila, right up
0: front. Oh, my God. I seven. Me too. Good night, I, everyone. One of my favorite. Good movie.
2: night. I saw it opening. I don't know if I saw it opening night. I definitely saw it opening weekend. It was one of the first movies that Kate and I saw together, uh, and we knew nothing about it. Mm. It's it's still my favorite Wes Anderson film. Mm uh because it it was so new it was so fresh yeah. everything about it i love everything about it i love the music it's one of my favorite soundtracks i still listen to it all the time i love it mm. i love the look of it i love every frame i love how the shots are framed i love how it moves i love all the actors in it all of the characters it 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 was just i i recently watched it with the kids Kate and I wanted to watch with them. We watched with them about a month or so ago. They were meh on it. They mm. were eh. So I thought when we were doing this episode, I was like, well, I don't really need to. I've seen it so many times. Mm. And I'm like, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago. I don't need to watch it again. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to watch it again. So I watched it again last night. <laughs> and there was never a moment where I'm like, ah, I'm just going to fast forward this. Because I thought, I'm like, well, I'll watch it and maybe I'll just skim through it. I'm like, no, I don't want to. No. <laughs> I, I enjoy yeah. every moment of it. And it's just so... It's so different and unexpected in every way. And, you know, it wasn't being cute and precious for the sake of being cute and precious, which I I think
1: that's that's a knock on him, but I don't think it, uh, I don't think it holds.
2: Yeah. God, I just, I love, love, love the soundtrack. I love, and not just, you know, I love uh, that I read that Wes Anderson, you know, he decided that It was going to be all British Invasion music because that's how he dressed. He dressed with a blazer Uh and he imagined that (laughs) most of the British Invasion musicians wore blazers. (laughs) But even that, but even like the Mark Mothersboe music that he did, the Uh original music.
1: Uh That's incredible. That's beautiful music.
2: It's so unique and, you know, that harpsichord, there's like the whole movie's just got this heightened sense of reality. Yes. But it, it, it's still very grounded. Again, I believe everything, and this movie would fail if not for Jason Schwartzman.
1: Oh because yeah, he's, oh, great.
2: So he's a fucking revelation. They yeah, did a I crazy
1: never... search for an actor, and and on the last day of aud, I mean, they'd seen hundreds and hundreds of kids, and on the oh, last day of auditions, they saw him, and they were like, I, "Oh, thank God, thank we can God. make the movie." They were like, "We're not going to be able to make it."
2: I mean, I, I remember when I wow. the first time I saw it, I remember thinking like, I've never seen anything like this kid because he's so, you know, he, Max Fisher is he does some really awful things. You know, he's not oh, yeah. He he there he can definitely be a very unlikable character, but the way Schwartzman plays him, you love him. You love because he's what's so great, and it's in the role, it's how it's written, obviously. And it's, I'm assuming it's very much who Wes Anderson was as a kid. Yeah. But it could, it, it, if with, if you don't have the right actor, it could really fail. Like this kid who's so beyond his years, you know, who's so on another level, but he's still just a 15 year old kid. Yeah. You know, and he finds that balance so well. He's so, so goddamn. Every, the whole cast is great. But man, if it weren't for Jason Schwartzman, the movie wouldn't work. Has it ever crossed your mind that you're far too young for me? It crossed my mind that you might consider that a possibility, yeah? Quite apart from the fact that you're a student. I'm not trying
3: to pressure you into anything, Miss Cross.
2: I'm surprised you brought it up so bluntly. I just want to make sure... We've become friends, haven't we? Yes.
3: Good. And, uh... The truth is, neither one
2: of us has the slightest idea where this relationship is going. We can't predict the future. We don't
3: have a relationship, Max. But we're friends. Yes, and that's all we're going to be. That's all I meant by relationship. You want me to grab a dictionary?
1: I think the most beautiful thing about this movie is, is uh, not, what am I saying? There's millions of beautiful things about this movie. Mm-hmm. I do love the relationship between him and his father, the old dad, the barber, who's Cassell, clearly like clearly like had the child later in life the yeah. wife passed away and he's a he's a he's just a barber they live in a very modest home and and that max is always trying to be something he's not and trying yeah. to puff himself up and that's where so much of his insecurity comes from. And, 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 but he's, he allows all that. He allows himself to be vulnerable too. He's not, yeah. he's not impenetrable. He's not just an asshole, mm, even though right. he's like, you know, he's just playing He wants to be a man. He wants to be, yeah. he wants to be so many things and he can't, it's hard to for him to even focus and accept where he is and who he is. And that
2: relationship between him and his father, it's beautiful. Mm. And it's such, I'm just now thinking, you know, between this and October sky, yeah.
1: and just,
2: you know, that juxtaposition of, of, father-son relationships and they're both really touching. But what's so interesting, like Chris Cooper is constantly like, No, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. See, Marcusella, the whole movie is like, oh really? Yeah, whatever you want. You know, even like mm. what he gets like a 38 on the test. And he's like, oh look, you almost got yeah, an 83. says so you man. almost got he's, the
1: eight. And it's so he's, sweet.
2: He's so supportive. And it's like whatever you wanted, he just listens. That's what I love about that character. He loves his son unconditionally. He knows his son's ashamed of him. But you know he also knows that he'll figure it out in his own time, and he just listens to him. Yeah. So it's so great. And the moment where Bill Murray meets him, yeah, and Bill, that look on yeah. Bill Murray's face where he realizes, yeah. oh, he's been lying, the, the and this is why face. he's lying, yeah. and it's okay.
1: With with Hark the Herald Angel sing from the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. Play. I mean, <laughs> it is <laughs> that that might be my single favorite moment in the movie when he shows up at the barber shop at yeah. the end, and, and and Schwartzman introduces him to his father.
3: Oh, well, 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 look at the cat right in. Sorry, I'm late. <laughs> That's it. I want you to meet someone.
2: Mr. Bloom, this is my father, Bert Fisher.
3: Nice to meet you, Mr. Fisher. Now, Mr. Fisher was my father's name. Call me Bert, please. OK, Bert. So, Max tells me you need a haircut. I can see that. Why don't you sit down and we'll have a look. I don't know, don't worry, Mr. Bloom.
0: It's a relatively painless procedure. That scene in the barbershop, this whole movie, you know, I'm, I was watching, I had seen it before, enjoyed it before. I do like this movie very much. Definitely. Uh, had forgotten large um, swaths of it, you know that mm. there were. So I, I sort of had images in my head of this movie, and and um, obviously that final, you know, theater sequence. It was amazing. Oh god, um, the heaven and hell cotillion! Oh my god, the heaven <laughs> and hell hearted. cotillion! Oh my god, so great! Uh, I'll, you'll ne- you never forget that after seeing it, but. um on this rewatch, I, not only was I enjoying it, but but I had those moments of like, okay, is Wes Anderson just being clever and quirky, or is he doing something else in this moment? And I kept having those mm. questioning moments of like, okay, what's this now? What's this now? You know, and and sort of it all came together for me mm-hmm. in that moment in the barbershop shop when he says, "This is my dad," and you, at Bill Murray you know has every every yeah. thought that happens to him on his face yeah. in that moment is so so great and i and i went oh oh this movie's about innocence and maturity yeah. you know it's not the loss of innocence in a sad way no it's mm-hmm. saying you know we have to make a move toward maturity You know, even though this other guy who's supposed to be the mature billionaire is sort of degrad he's degrading (laughs) in his maturity and sort of and regressing in a way as Max is becoming a man. It is a coming of age story, but a very different kind of coming of age story because it's not about like, oh, the things we lose, oh, the things the things we've lost. It's like, no, Max is gonna take everything from these experiences and everything that he's learned and everything that he's been and and it makes him a better man by the end of this movie and I, I just thought it was so beautiful it's it's no mistake that the final song is the faces ulala yep
3: I win-
1: I think it's brilliant that they end the film with that. Yeah, yeah. it's um, and it I is can't, like
2: I can't talk about that soundtrack enough. If you if you're listening, <laughs> if you've never go out and oh, get it's it, amazing. it's amazing. So good, it's
1: amazing. I mean, the use of o Yoko when they're when they're yeah. the, the training sequence when yeah, they're, they're like getting you? fit again. <laughs> Yeah, the soundtrack is impeccable. I can't say enough good things about this this movie. I, I I I can't. There's not a single moment that doesn't work for me. I I think this might be my third favorite. I think I said this in the back to school episode because it was my favorite school yeah. movie. It was my number one yeah. movie for right. school. Um, partly because of how much Max loves Rushmore. He's like oh, he yeah. he loves that place. Yeah. He ties so much up in it, and it actually reminds me a lot of how I felt about high school, actually. I did not, I loved my experience in high school so much. I really did, when it was time to be like, okay, time to go to college, time to apply. I wasn't one of those kids who was like, I can't wait to wrap this up and mm. and move on with my life. I was, you know, I was nostalgic while the thing was happening. I did not <laughs> want to leave. I really, you know, and I I did. I tied up a lot a lot of my identity with school and just loved. It. Now I, you know, my grades were better. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I didn't have such a, a torturous relationship with with right. school. It was pretty purely positive, but I. I can totally see myself in that kid and that love of a love of a place and and wanting to you know he's starting all the clubs and I I felt like I was that kind of guy in school and so I I always loved it because of that but as much as I love this movie and I really adore it. It's like number three from my favorite Wes Anderson's I still think Royal Tenenbaums and Moonrise Kingdom actually. Um, I oh, really I've never love that. That's a great one.
2: I love them. But both. I think those yeah. three
1: are, and and I also think those the three are. I also think Life Aquatic does this, and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Emotionally, they all really get to me, and I think sometimes his work is mm-hmm. perceived as, like you say a little too clever for its own good, right. perhaps a shade cold because of how, you know, the way he he frames things. And it's like, you know, it's like he's playing with a dollhouse in a way. I mean, the visual style oh, yeah, can be... It seems like it can be distancing, but I actually find it the opposite. I, I find it all very moving and full. Um, Agreed. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, just so much warmth and humor. His direction, such a young guy, his second movie, the direction is so assured. This visual style, I... I, I, the way the camera moves, the mathematical yes. precision of the shots, everything's on a grid. It's all these parallel lines and bifurcated yes. frames, yeah. but yet it's all fluid and musical at the same time. So it never feels rigid. It never feels boring. It's so interesting. His visual mind. What you we to
2: notice this time? I, the, the grids, Absolutely. Uh, you know, especially when they're like the scene between him and the teacher in, in the window frames and they yes, move to the, right. to, the, to the fish tanks yep.
0: yeah. Foxes, yeah. for
2: this, you know, cause he, he's got such a great eye for color and detail oh, yeah. and his movies have such a palette, you know, a specific palette. And I was noticing the backgrounds, every, the scene, every time it's like a two shot, the backgrounds are always so interesting. Mm-hmm. There's always something going on, whether it's, you know, like the fencing club in the background, but it's just also the way they're staged or just like the, the, uh, the, you know, when they're in Brian Cox's office, like all those, those picture frames. Well, that's another them. thing.
1: That's like an example of these grit. Like sometimes he, he, like sometimes the frame, the 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 film picture is bifurcated or separated naturally by like the fish tank or yeah, like right. bookshelves and things and sometimes it's like literally like there's a million frames on the wall behind both yes. of them so or or there's the shot of the the thanksgiving the uh the tv dinner which is also like all these little Sectioned compartments yeah. and sections yeah. it's like he loves that the,
2: like the books the library the shelves yeah the same thing and, and just in the
1: he amps it up when he does things like Life Aquatic, and you see the cross section of the submarine, or yes. Moonrise Kingdom and the cross section of the house. It's just the way he thinks. It's very childlike too. It's like he, it looks like a, a it could be drawings out of a Richard Scarry book for you know, or, or <laughs> totally. it, it just is so interesting and so chock full of detail. Yeah, I love what you say, Fred, about like something always going on in the background of a shot. Last night, for the first time I've seen this movie, dozens of times easily <sighs> after Serpico. After the after the performance (laughs) of Serpico. So great. He's I think it's a two I think he's it's when he's talking to Miss Cross. And in the background, over Jason Schwartzman's shoulder, never seen this before, Dirk is still dressed as the nun, but he's sweeping up. He's like, <laughs> yes, he's yes. also on crew. And he's sweeping in the background. And i never noticed that before. That
0: relationship is amazing I as love well. Dirk. Dirk's I, my favorite character. I
1: he's that. His is great. Mason Gamble. Oh. So, so good. Really? It was
2: Dennis the Menace. He was? Dennis the Menace, yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. And then I think oh, I that was wow. it. Then he was like, I'm out. Jesus. Oh, my gosh, so I didn't good. know
0: that. Max, no?
2: No. And I don't want him to know. Ever. I just want to stop right now. You're a married man, Blue. And you're supposed to be his friend.
3: Look, Turk. I am his friend. Oh, yeah. And with friends like you, who needs friends?
2: Their relationship is great, and my God, that letter—the the letter that he writes oh, about—like so I saw them, yeah. you know, giving each other, you taking jobs. Nap, giving each other hand jobs. Oh, That's so when you you're like, oh no, they're just
0: little,
3: little kids, kids right? Well, no, that's
0: kids. the they other thing really- about this is that you know he's the, Rushmore is also the place where he can be a leader of men, <laughs> you know, yeah. You yeah. which is what does every what does every boy want? But his own sort of you know his own clique, his own cabal, his own his own group. Um, to be sort of the leader of in a structure of a society where he's not going to be that in the greater sort of Rushmorean, you know, society of of the school. But he's got his and they're all shorter than him. And they're all younger than him. And he's the king of them. You know, Uh, I, I think that's really beautiful and special. And you talk about that sort of sectioned off, you know, the sort of the, the compartmentalizing of his life and how can he possibly have room for all of Hmm. these things that he does. And that's sort of what, what, what high school does, you know, and, and what college does. It says, Oh yeah, there there's, you can be, you can be the chess club and the school newspaper and the band and the this and the that because why, because it's an artificial environment because it's not like life because you don't have to worry about the things that, that you have to worry about in life when you don't have room or don't have time to do all of those things anymore. But how do you do it there? Well, something gives for him and that's going to be his academics, but he has all these other things in these neat little boxes, but you, you, and that of course shows up visually, as you guys said, but then you juxtapose that with something expansive and like the kite flying scene. You know oh, yeah. where the, where you don't get any of those sections yeah, or divisions brilliant. or anything, and in, and who comes in? Margaret Yang. Yeah, you know, literally flying through the broad, the bright blue, expansive sky into his life.
3: I uh, heard about your science project on Action Thirteen. He said the Navy wants to buy it from you.
2: No, not anymore.
3: Why not?
2: Because it was a fake. What do you mean? I faked all the results.
3: Why? Because it didn't work. I thought it would, but it didn't.
2: You're a real jerk to me, you know that? Sorry, Margaret. Well, anyway, nice to
1: see you. It's so clear that it's Wes Anderson's childhood that he's tapping into because he goes back. The movie's made in 1998, right? And we have no reason to think that it's not necessarily a contemporary movie. But yet all his movies have this very, very timeless feel where it's like it feels like it could be today, but it could be 40 years ago there's nothing printed off of a computer when they put the cast list up or the you know the announcement about the latin club coming back or whatever like it's all yeah, like right. it's clearly like typed on an old piece of typewriter paper and <laughs> right and everything's written in crayon it's all like the stuff it's like he's seeing the world or he's communicating through the prism of his like night clearly like 1970s you know, childhood in some ways, or, you know, late 60s, early 70s childhood. That's the way Wes Anderson seems to be communicating. There is no, you, you, I don't think there's a computer in this movie, as far as you know. Or like no, maybe there's one in Herman Lane Bloom's office. Is, yeah. It feels like out of time, like just <laughs> shifted out of time. There's very few things, you know, the, cool. the Budweiser swim trunks are maybe the most, <laughs> that's the only product placement I think in the movie. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's crazy
0: that he's wearing those. <laughs> I love that it's on but his ass.
1: Rich man is wearing Budweiser swim trunks and his pool is filled with. With leaves it's like he's rich but he's not he's like he's nouveau riche he's not he's not like you know it's not uh right. it's not old money he's not the classiest guy clearly no. he's wearing like the regis philbin collection like the <laughs> the, the, the tone on tone but you know the gold tie <laughs> yeah. on the gold shirt it's like very funny it's very interesting
3: how is she i really wouldn't know why not i haven't seen her in six weeks what happened she left She's in love with a dead guy anyway. Edward Appleby. You know, uh, she's sweet, but she's fucked up. Hey, are you okay? I'm a little bit lonely these days.
0: Question for you guys. Two characters. Um, I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's something like... Mr. Green Jeans.
1: Yes, yes. Mr. Little Jeans. Mr. Mr. Little, little Jeans. Jeans. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. That Th- actor.
0: That guy and the little skinny kid who just shows yes. up on the side of the frame, or is yes. just peeking in, or he's under the water, or he, mm-hmm. he's just there. Sometimes it, these are two like I took it to be like these are two like spirit animals that just <gasps> inhabit the space. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. just sort of there. They're they're sort of, um um souls or spirits (laughs) or it's like the soul of the movie or something i was like what why are these characters just just especially that little kid he's just there sometimes
1: talk about getting in touch with like your your childhood or something spirit animal right that kid is around he's he's around everyone a lot but he's around bill murray a lot and yep and when bill murray's in those swim trunks early in the film yeah, there's the shot of him underwater when Bill Murray's like just sitting there at the bottom of the pool. But there's also the shot where he's like sitting he there and he's chucking. Comes to the table, chucking, yeah. to, the table <laughs> the to get cakes and he right. chucks the golf ball at him. Yeah, but then murray's last moment in the movie practically is lifting him up and seating and him
0: sitting him up. down yes
1: so he's like made reconciled somehow with his it's almost like it's his younger self you oh, know
0: that's and he's amazing
2: like, i didn't realize that that was the same kid at the it's end it's the same
0: kid he's there throughout and, he's that, through the and, you, and you're exactly right jason now that you say that it's like oh it's him. It's his childhood, childhood spirit, spirit that he has. He's thrown golf balls out and, and shooing <laughs> yes. away. He literally shooes him away. And then he embraces and him, picks him yeah, up. Then oh, at no, the yeah, end, he's amazing. like, "Okay, I've reconciled with this." That's gorgeous. Now, Mister Little Jeans, I don't know, but when that kid, he's <laughs> best around play he, ever, man. Yeah, he 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 again inhabits the space as sort of this, I don't know, spirit guide, you yeah. know, or or something through through it. Boy, it's, he uh,
1: really plays that part in. Um, as pagoda in uh, royal tenenbaums when he's gene hackman's basically basically gene hackman's otis in that movie same actor yeah same actor yeah that's great he's his sidekick the fellow um that he right he works for the tenenbaums and then he winds up getting kicked out and uh when he because he's been communicating and kind of uh he's he's been his conduit to the family you know pagoda has been the conduit to the family and then they both end up working i think at the they live in the YMCA together, and then they both work at the that hotel at the end oh
0: of the God, movie. Oh, my God, I never realized. Oh, it's great. You son of a bitch! God damn! That's the last time you put a knife at me, hear me? You yeah. said Pagoda. That made me think of Vagoda, which is something I wanted to ask you about from the beginning of the movie, <laughs> when he's sitting there with Brian Cox. And he says, "This is a secret. This is a Uh this is a a written you know. This is scripted, I assume." Okay. Um. He says, uh, "He says, come on for old times' sake," and Brian Cox goes, "I can't do it." Uh, Totally. Totally. That's right out of Godfather, right? Totally from the Godfather. (gasps) That's amazing. I wonder yeah. if there are other things in the movie that I'm missing that there are like- There was. There's another line. Oh, crap. Either from Godfather or from something else, but that's right out uh, of Tessio, right?
1: I, I did yeah. write down, they all talk like they're in a Coppola movie. Oh, but, there you Which, go. who is his uncle, Jason Schwartzman's oh, uncle. of course. That's right. Natalia Shire his mother. There you Shires have, it. And, there
0: you know. you have it.
2: it. You know, in many ways, um, you know, the scene with Bill Murray in the pool, I mean, that seems sort of like a nod to The Graduate. Yeah. right. Yeah, think. Yeah. Feels know, that very always good. reminded me of that.
3: She's my Rushmore, Max. Yeah, I know. She was
1: mine, too. This is so, this is such a stupid, talking about pretentious, I'm like saying, like, this movie, don't, Sanderson's not pretentious. Maybe I'm pretentious. I'm like thinking about <laughs> the title. I'm like, Rushmore, Rushmore. And at first, and I was thinking about it last night. I was like, what's the significance of that? And of course, Mount Rushmore, like yeah. greatness yes. being up there, you know, like yes. aspiration, ambition, whatever. Uh, sure. That's it, I guess. But I was like, I was like, there's got to be. And then I was like, rush more rush comma more like he's in a rush to grow up he's filling his life with so much like it, you more, know yeah. like to the yeah. to the exclusion of the schoolwork. like yeah. I, I, too many clubs too many things trying to fill it all in trying to you know and yet also like wants to be an adult wants to speed up everything i, I and don't know I love thought, and rush and that being, too right, okay you know, yeah. to,
0: to have what he the idealized version of that experience
1: yeah. now yeah so no. there's something about that I was like, oh, rush, dash more, rush right. more. I thought that was interesting.
2: Again, I said this in the beginning. Every time I watch it, I'm just reminded of the first time I saw it and yeah. how fresh it all seemed. And like, I've never seen characters like this. Like, here's something. I don't know if you guys know the, the role of Magnus. This is something that I want to look up. Mm-hmm. Again, kid's great, but so interesting. You have this hulking Scottish kid <laughs> yeah. with a cast and a deformed ear yeah, who right. walks around with Chinese stars. Like, was that <laughs> did was that was that the kid's own ear? Was did oh, he God. really break his arm? Or was Wes Anderson was like, no, this character is gonna be Scottish and he's gonna have a deformed ear. And he's going to, his arm is going to be in a cast. Like, it so f-
0: feels yes. like something out of myth. You know what I mean? It feels yes. like, like go- yes. Goliath or yeah. something like <laughs> yeah. that. He's
1: up in the tree. He's I always like up high. Yeah. 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 Until, it's, until Max turns the table and he's got the part to offer him in the play. And then Max oh is God. up high. And then he's like, there you, he's you like, go. That's great. I always wanted to be in one of your plays. It's great. I know you did.
0: I know you did, Magnus. <laughs> oh my God. And he's good in the play. He's actually really good in it. He's great.
3: Tag him and bag him, Jerry's. We're moving out. Dig him out. I don't know, but I've
1: been told. I don't know, i It's a 10 for you. Yeah, 10, yes. 10, yeah. For me as well.
0: For me, gentlemen, I have no reason not to give it a 10, except that I'm giving it a 9.5.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have no reason but that
0: reason.
2: <laughs> that's a good enough reason. On this podcast, that's a good enough reason. That's a good enough reason. Yeah.
0: I really love it. I really yeah, love it. it, and I enjoyed it—you know—more on this rewatch than I've ever enjoyed it before. This was three good movies this week. That's rare for us.
2: This was a nice. This was a nice palate cleanser this week. <sighs> I was like, oh, I thank After God.
0: nothing but trouble. <laughs> what was wrong with that movie? everything
1: listen to the episode once again oh my god yeah no this was good i mean october sky i knew nothing about so i was like this could be hit or miss and i have my issues with it clearly but it's still you know seven is quite often the the best of the best that's
0: the pinnacle right (laughs) that's the pinnacle
1: no next week will we have three movies as good as these <laughs> only time will tell we are, we are uh jumping in the time machine and revisiting february 27th 1987 the three major releases that weekend were a nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors which we all know fred and i love
2: that's right um, baby
1: some kind of wonderful, the John Hughes Yay. film that Yay. we know Dan loves, uh, and my sister. Um, and Hoosiers, a film nobody loves. No, what am I saying? <laughs> Hoosiers is a very well regarded film. I saw it in the theaters, I remember, but I don't think I've seen it since 1987 with Ooh. Gene Hackman and Dennis Hopper, who I believe got a Best Supporting Actor yeah. Oscar nomination.
0: Come I'm on.
2: excited for next week. I, I can't am too. Wait. Yeah,
1: I think can't it's gonna wait. be fun. Yeah. It's
2: gonna
0: be good. Dan, what are you gonna take us out with, gentlemen? One thing is certain. I wish that I knew now what I knew when I was younger. Those aren't the words. I wish that I knew what I was younger. What I know now. Those aren't the lyrics either. But I think it was just.
2: I wish I knew what I knew when I said "shut up in your face." <laughs> is that and it?
0: Goes a little something like this.
1: I wish I knew what I knew when you said what I did to you. Shut Sorry
0: up, your face. <laughs> no, please. please go ahead. All right, we'll try this. Yes. And is this not this Rod This is not Rod Stewart. It is this Rod is the Stewart? faces of oh, a very faces.
2: underrated band. If you listen to listeners, I know we don't talk about music here. If you don't know the faces, check them out. You don't know the
1: faces, shut up a you face.
2: eh? Shut up up your faces and
0: listen to your song being hand farted. That's what I say to the faces. repeats basically that's all i remember that was you know it's amazing as you're doing
2: that you know and people listening can't see this but i'm watching you do it and i just see your hands and i see your prominently displayed wedding ring and i'm just (laughs) thinking this is a married man
1: how proud your wife
0: must be (laughs)
2: farting ooh la la with his his
0: palms (laughs) amazing it's why she married me gentlemen (laughs) get on it oh wait you're both married The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman,
2: and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman.
1: Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff.
3: Thank you for listening.